God, we thank you for um, your grace and Lord, um, or for Jesus. Thank you for uh, these baptisms that we've been able to witness all morning. Uh, Lord, thank you for the reminder of how powerful, Lord, you are to be able to save anyone and everyone, uh, Lord, from um, any sin. We thank you that uh, your arm is not too short to save. Lord, I pray as we turn to the topic of friendship, uh, Lord, would you remind us this morning of what a gift friendship is, Lord, how it is, um, Lord, just an aid in our walk with you, um, and Lord, would you help us to, to grow in this area of the Christian life, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Today we are uh, wrapping up our three-week sermon series on biblical friendship, and as we think about friendship, maybe uh, perhaps all throughout this series, many of us actually go back to our childhood. It was somewhat simple back then to make friends, to maintain friends, right? You just go to, you know, one trip to the pool or one trip to the park and you walk away likely with a best friend forever, right? Or you, you show up to school and you're wearing the same color as somebody else and boom, you have an inseparable best friend for life. Uh, I'm seeing this in, uh, in my kid's life right now. And I just, I love the simplicity. I appreciate the simplicity. You know, as, as a kid for me, I, it felt so good having close friends, you know, having um, someone that you can sit with at lunch, someone you can play with at recess, someone that you can talk to after um, a hard day. I've been doing a lot of uh, reflection on friendship uh, throughout this series, even before this series, um, even just throughout my own life and just reflecting on the friendships that God has blessed me with, with uh, pretty much throughout all seasons of my life. The Lord has been so incredibly generous. I know in, in childhood, growing up, I had these four really tight friends and we did everything together. Uh, we, we called ourselves the Fab Five, which is not original. Um, and you can, you can steal that, but we, we just did everything together. And they, it was amazing how much they shaped me and who I am uh, today. Went off to college and God surrounded me with these amazing friends once again, who deeply impacted um, who I am today. And yet, despite those friendships, something changed as I graduated from college. I got married. I moved away from those close friendships. I got a job and I began adulting. And that's when friendship became really challenging. Like if I was honest with you, uh, I was trying to figure out how do you do friendship as an adult? How do you do friendship when, when these friends aren't built into the environments that I was in? I wonder if that resonates with you this morning. You graduate, you, you leave the nest, and suddenly you're no longer surrounded by your peers, right? Some get married. Some begin careers, some travel around, some do all of the above. And yet what tends to take the back seat is cultivating deep and meaningful friendships. Suddenly friendship becomes incredibly challenging and complex. It may feel even impossible at times. If that's your experience, then you likely have been tempted to long for what you had in the past to get back to the good old days of high school and college where, where your friendships were really robust. Or, or maybe you've been tempted to wanna recreate those friendships in the past with your current friends here today in the presence. And yet we all know that just can't really happen. That is really unhealthy to try to do that. The reality is, is that friendship doesn't get any easier as you age, especially when careers become more demanding Parenthood seems to suck up every last bit of time and energy. 
or you start devoting uh, more time to your aging parents, or, or you pour your life into your grandkids. I mean, the list goes on and on. After a while of living like this, you kind of grow accustomed to the relational oxygen level of loneliness. You learn to cope without deep and meaningful friendships. I think people in uh, that kind of situation, they're either struggling with not being convinced that they need friendships, or they're struggling with how do I do friendship as an adult? How do I actually have close friends today? It's really complicated as an adult. I, I have felt that personally. This short sermon series has really been the result of a journey I feel like I've been on for the last several years. As I mentioned just a moment ago, I've always had close friends in nearly every season of life that I've been in. But as an adult and as a father and as a pastor, friendships have been really challenging for me. One comedian put it this way. He said, it's hard to make friends when you're an adult. I think that's the greatest miracle of Jesus. He had 12 best friends in his 30s and they weren't his wife's best friend's husbands. I came across, I'm like, yeah, that, that resonates with me, right? Maybe to be a little bit more spiritual here. This is uh, Jonathan Holmes, author and pastor. He says, deep and meaningful friendships, they don't come easily, even within the church. And sometimes, especially within the church, because from time to time, we all sense that things ought to be different. We can find the challenges of biblical friendship perplexing, frustrating, and discouraging. If that resonates with you today, I've got good news. Today's topic is on how to navigate friendship. Okay, we're gonna build off last week's sermon as we looked at last week, the six ingredients for flourishing friendship. And today we're gonna look at how to practically live this out. Okay, I'm hoping this is one of my most practical sermons to date, we'll see. Um, to set up our time, let's look briefly at Ecclesiastes chapter four, the passage that Shannon read for us. The author of Ecclesiastes, of course, is Solomon, and he illustrates in this passage before us the advantages of companionship over solitude. His main point here is that there is strength, great strength, in having close friendships. Now, what I want to do just for a moment is to zoom out from chapter 4 of Ecclesiastes and look at Ecclesiastes as a whole. I think we need to understand kind of this book just briefly here in order to understand uh, this passage Ecclesiastes is classified as a poetic and wisdom-oriented book, which means it's deeply, deeply practical. This book is laying out for us the best way to live. And across its 12 chapters, it outlines Solomon's observations on the pervasive meaningless of living under the sun. Right, you'll see that phrase all throughout this book, under the sun. What he means by that is that there is a deep emptiness in one's earthly existence apart from God, right? So ultimately what Solomon's point is, is that without God, everything is meaningless in this life, which is why he emphasizes at the end of Ecclesiastes, the, the importance of, of acknowledging your creator and living according to his values. It's a powerful book. And if you've read it before, you, you, you can recall Solomon who is calling just about everything out and saying it's meaningless. That's meaningless, this is meaningless, that's meaningless, this is meaningless. It's kind of depressing throughout the book, but it's shaping perspective of the dangers of living apart from God and his way. Now, what's astounding 
is that that list of what is meaningless actually includes relational isolation. That was so challenging for me to think about that as far as what's the best way to live according to King Solomon, he's probably the wisest man to ever live. And he lays out in Ecclesiastes, a warning for not having close friends. It's really the main point of chapter four, verses seven through 12. In these verses, Solomon is recounting the story of a solitary individual who's working endlessly, and yet he cannot enjoy his wealth and his riches because he's alone. So verses seven and eight are basically about this solitary existence results in all of his efforts being worthless because he has no one to enjoy his wealth or his legacy with. So these verses actually set before us a warning a warning for for those of us who are on that same path where you're trying to work and work and work and and build and build and build, and yet you're not investing time and energy into cultivating deep and meaningful friendship. Solomon also, though, in this passage, provides an alternative, different way to live. In verse 9, he declares that two are better than one that together you can achieve more. You can assist each other more. You can share warmth. In verse 12, he talks about how you can resist opposition. He uses that, um, that really popular analogy that a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Like reading this passage, that the conclusion's an easy one. It's very simple. There is great wisdom in cultivating deep and meaningful friendship. And there is a danger to living in relational isolation. Right now, I, I hope at this point in the series that that point is very clear, right? Part of my aim has been to convince us of the necessity of developing and having biblical friendship in our lives. And so when we, when we consider a passage like Ecclesiastes chapter four, the temptation is to read this and be like, yeah, yeah okay, that's true. Yeah, yeah, okay, that, that's, that's nice. Yeah, yeah, two's better than one. All right, I'll, I, I agree with that. And then you kind of go on and, and live your life however you want to live it. And so before we jump into this topic, the, the question I want to pose before you this morning, it's simple, but it's challenging. And the question is this, do you truly believe what these verses are saying? I'm not asking you if you believe they're true. I'm assuming you believe that they're true. I'm assuming you believe that they're accurate. What I'm asking you is are you utterly convinced that these verses inspired by your creator who created you and, and fashioned you to be exactly who you are today, are you convinced that these verses lay out the best way to live when it comes to relationships? And does your life match that? And if you're saying, yeah, I'm convinced, okay, praise God, that's awesome. And maybe you are convinced but you're struggling with how. Maybe you're thinking, yes, I, I want that. I actually, I deeply crave that in my life. I just don't know how to do it. Uh, friendship in adulthood is, is complicated. Like, I, I feel like I don't have enough time and energy to invest in friendship. And if that's you today, we're, we're gonna tackle that very question, uh, how to cultivate friendship. And this morning, we're gonna be um, all over uh, the Proverbs today, because the, the Hebrew word for friendship actually shows up 30 different times throughout the book of Proverbs. 
Proverbs is filled with direction on how to have friendship. So this morning, I'm gonna kind of summarize um, what the Proverbs lay out for us by providing five ways to cultivate friendship. Five ways to cultivate friendship. Here's the first way, is that you have to be intentional. You have to be intentional. Being intentional means that you reject the notion that you just kind of stumble into deep friendship. This just kind of magically happens, all right? It means that you are actively pursuing, consistently praying, and deliberately opening yourself up for friends. Now, why is this so important? Well, this is so important because you and I, we don't drift towards deep friendship. You and I, we actually drift toward relational isolation. And we've seen throughout this series how dangerous it is to be isolated. Now, Proverbs speaks to this as well. Proverbs 18, verse one says, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgments. Notice that phrase, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. That is, he is only concerned about himself. And if you're only concerned about yourself, you are rejecting sound judgments. Notice the warning that's in here. That isolation creates a dangerous echo chamber that cuts you off from healthy perspective, right? If, if you're isolated, no one is there to call out your blind spots. No one is there to help shape reality for you. And it's very unhealthy. And so look, life is, life is just too complicated. It's too exhausting. It's too, we're too busy to not be deliberate in making and maintaining deep friendships. Again, they don't just happen. You have to be willing to initiate. You have to be willing to take that step. And it's risky, I know, but friendship's not going to happen unless you intentionally step out of your comfort zone and initiate. I think so often, even in the church, so many people are just kind of sitting back and waiting to be pursued, waiting for someone else to initiate. And I understand that temptation. Like you might come in here every single week and you're surrounded by other believers, other people who have same values as you. And so maybe through osmosis or maybe through something that magically happens, you'll develop a deep and meaningful relationship. So you just kind of wait for it to happen. And that's not how friendship works. Friendship demands intentionality and purpose. So let me give you two things, two ways to be intentional. And there's a host of, of ways to do this. Let me give you two important things. Number one is to pray. I know it sounds like, oh, here we go, over-spiritualizing friendship. No, like pray about your friendships. If you have close friends, do you pray for them intentionally and consistently and specifically what's going on in their lives? And if you don't have friendship, are you asking God to give you friendship? Asking God to provide that for you in your life? But then secondly, another way to be intentional is looking at your schedule, like looking at your calendar and thinking through your week, do you budget time with your friends? Do you budget time every week and saying, okay, this is where I'm going to be intentional. This is, this is room right here where we can live out and deepen our friendships. We've got to be intentional. Right, being intentional is a good start, but you also need to be selective, need to be selective. Now, I know, I know at first blush, this almost sounds unchristian, 
right? It sounds like you're, okay, you're just being exclusive, right? It's kind of like this little, you know, this little popular group and you're cutting off everybody else. Not so much, but kind of, right? And let me just clarify. Remember, we've talked about all throughout this series, there is a difference between Christian friendship and biblical community. Christian friendship is related to, but it's very different than your church family, right? And the big difference there is kind of what we talked about last week with the piece of vulnerability. You cannot be deeply vulnerable with everybody in your biblical community. You can only be vulnerable and truly know a select few. And so it demands for you and I to be discerning about who those people are. In fact, several Proverbs actually encourages us to be selective in our close friendships. I'll give you two examples here. The first one, Proverbs 12, verse 26. It says, the righteous should choose his friends carefully for the way of the wicked leads them astray. Proverbs 13, 20, walk with the wise and become wise for a companion of fools suffers harm. What's the principle here? The principle here is that you become your friends. You become your friends. Or Pastor Craig Rochelle puts it this way, that your friends are your future you. He says, you show me your friends and I will show you your future. One Christian psychologist summarized the importance of choosing your friends carefully by saying, you are the average of your five closest friends. Meaning, take your five closest friends, you look at their character, look at their values, maybe even their personalities, and you're basically the average of those five closest friends. And the big, the big takeaway here is that you are a byproduct of who you do life with. They, they shape you, they inform how it is that you are to live. That your friends will always determine the quality and the direction of your life. So show me your friends and I will show you your future, which means you need to be selective. Let me illustrate this point just for a moment. I want you to think about if you're going out and you're shopping for a jacket, all right? It's the fall season, winter, winter season here. Let's say you're shopping for a new jacket. When you go and you're looking for a new jacket, you're very careful about which jacket that you're going to purchase. We, we do this intuitively. Like you go into a store um, and you're, unless you're my wife, you're likely not gonna walk out of there with 12 different jackets, right? Now she'll return 11 of them, but you're likely not going to do that. You're usually going to walk out of there with one jacket. And so you're careful, you, you, you try it on. You, you might even you know, take a picture of what you look like and you share it with your friends or family looking for their approval. You're usually not going after the first jacket that you see. Why? It's because you know you're going to wear that jacket out in public. People will see you in that jacket. So you're selective. I think the same principle applies with friendship. You wanna be careful in who you select because eventually you're going to wear your friends in your character. Walk with the wise and you will become wise eventually you become your friends. So be selective. Now there is a danger in being overly selective, right? And being overly picky, right? Some of us might be waiting for the perfect friend to come along and you're, you know, you just want to wait for that perfect person. Well, you're going to be waiting forever. There's no such thing as a perfect friend or a perfect person. So what should you look for in choosing a friend? Let me give you two things here. You want to look for a godly character 
that you can imitate and shared values you can emulate. Right, those, are, those are two really important aspects that you want to, to look for, kind of criteria for choosing your friends because you become your friends. Thirdly, another way to cultivate friendship is to be gracious, is to be gracious. You wanna be a person that is saturated with grace. Why is this so important? This is so important because friendships rarely come without moments of hurt and frustration and disappointment. This is just what comes with the package of intimacy. For those of you who are married, you know that this is true. The closer you get with somebody, the more likely they're going to say something or do something that will pain you. Right? That's just a byproduct of, of being close with somebody. And also it's a byproduct that we're all sinners and, and that friendship can and is messy. And so the question is, when those moments happen where you are hurt by a friend, and I'm using the word when and not if, but when you are hurt by them, the question is, will you pull away in those moments? Will you, will you tap out and say, no, no, this is too messy for me? You put up that wall and you begin to drift away. Or will you be a person of grace who leans in to those moments? Will you be a person of grace where you're not easily offended? Where you're a person who is, who is uh, wanting and willing to extend forgiveness even when it's painful. You have this mentality that, that love covers a multitude of sins, 1 Peter 4, 8. I think it's also important to recognize which way you tend to lean when, when someone hurts you. You lean towards quickly forgiving them or do you lean towards punishing them? Right? We, we all have a particular bent. It's, I think it's helpful to know which way you lean and ask the Lord, God, would you give me grace to show grace, to show forgiveness the same way that you have forgiven me. Or this is the best way to be a gracious person. Come back to the way that God has forgiven you. Like, you know the ways that you have failed God. You know the ways that you have offended him with your sin. And so you know the, the great lengths that God has gone to, to, to forgive you of your sins to show you grace that he sent Jesus, his one and only son, to get up on a cross, to die in your place in order to forgive you and have this friendship with you. It used to be an enemy of God. And now because of Jesus, you can be close and be his friend. And so do you show that same kind of forgiveness and grace to your close friends? I mean, think about this for a moment. The way that you forgive your close friends actually showcases God's forgiveness to you. And it can be deeply, deeply powerful in that friendship. So be gracious. Next way to cultivate deep friendship, number four here is to be committed. To be committed. You will never experience deep and life-giving friendship unless you are committed to your close friends. Proverbs 17, 17 says, a friend loves when it's convenient. No, does not. Doesn't say a friend loves when they get something in return. Doesn't say when a, a friend loves when they feel like it. No, a friend loves at all times, at all times. What a demanding and, and challenging verse when it, when it comes to being committed to our close friends. 
Well, what does this look like practically? Well, first, I think this looks like investing time and effort into the relationship, into the friendship that you're initiating, you're sacrificing, you're demonstrating the type of behavior to your friend, not just with your words, but your behavior that sends this message to them, that you're saying with your behavior, this friendship is valuable to me. You are important to me. If you look at your behavior with your friendship, your actions, would your friend conclude that? That, that this friendship is actually valuable to you? Or w- when was the last time that you told your friends, either you wrote them a note or text them or whatever it is, or you told them to their face, how meaningful that friendship is to you? How much you, you care for them? How much you, you love them? Are you, are you affirming the friends that are in your life? Right, so invest the time and effort into the relationship. Secondly, though, is to proactively show up for your friends when they need you the most. So avoid being unreliable, avoid being passive. Be the kind of friend that, that they can count on. And, and I think even with this, we talked about the vulnerability piece, even the closeness last week, you should know your friends so well that when they're going through a difficult time, you, they don't need to ask you to do something. Like you, you know what it is. Like you know them so well, you've walked alongside, you know exactly what they need and when they need it. All right, you wanna be that type of 3 a.m. friend that we talked about last week, that when an emergency hits, you are there for them. Another way you can show commitment is um, by staying in the friendship through various seasons, right? When you are in a friendship, you will experience many changes, different jobs, different places to live. Some get married, some have kids, some have health changes, right? The list goes on and on. When you experience change in a friendship, the tendency is to pull back. The tendency when, when you're experiencing kind of a different dynamic because of, of whatever cause it is, whatever season that you're going through, the, the, the tendency is to be like, oh, I guess we're not that close. Or, or there's something wrong with the friendship. And we tend to pull away in those moments. I think being committed to the friendship is asking the question, what adjustments need to be made in order to stay close during this particular season, right? If you're going through one of those seasons right now with a friend, let's say you just have a new baby or you just moved, you got a new job, like you're going to experience different dynamics in that friendship. And those friends have to talk through how can we stay close during this season? Uh, Another way to be committed is by valuing your friend's growth over your comfort, right? Being committed means that you are participating in what matters most, and that's their spiritual growth, right? That's them looking more and more like Jesus. And this is an aspect of friendship that for many of us is most uncomfortable, is to actually talk about Jesus with our close friends or talk about how can we grow? Or how can I pray for you? Or or how can I speak truth in love to you? And yet being committed in your friendship is participating in that space. God has given you the privilege of having that trust and that closeness. So lean in, lean in to that area of your friendship of pointing them to Jesus, holding them accountable and helping them grow. Lastly, the fifth way to cultivate friendship that I would encourage us is to be, is to be realistic. 
to be real. I was hesitant. Should I share this? Should I not share this? And yet, I think that there, so many of us, I think, struggle with being unrealistic in our friendships, of thinking like we can be close to everybody, right? Or, or thinking like, I should be pursued by so many people. And the, re- the reality is, is that being realistic is recognizing you have limitations. You are human. You cannot be close to everybody. There might be some people in your life where they want more from you than what you can actually give right now. And you need to be honest about that. And even recognize, depending on the season that you're in, your capacity for friendship will change. Your capacity for deep friendships doesn't usually stay the same throughout the course of your life. It ebbs and it flows, and you need to recognize that. At the same time, come back full circle here with the sermon. You need to be realistic in understanding that friendship just won't happen unless you take a step. Unless you initiate, you're going to drift toward isolation. Uh, Drew Hunter says this about friendship. He says, friendship should be more like a submarine holding a few and going deep. But we've made it more like a cruise ship filled with lots of nice people whom we don't really know that well at all. I think my concern is that that describes not only the culture around us, but I wonder if that even describes our church here at Pennington Park Church. Like I wonder, I think it's very possible that even within the walls of the church, that there are many people who gather here every week and you struggle with friendship. You struggle with with being truly known, of having the sense of a vulnerability with another person outside of a family member. You might even be a committed member. You might be somebody that serves every single week. You might be even part of a small group, and yet you struggle with with loneliness, of, of being truly known. And I know some of you have tried. Some of you have tried and you've tried and you've tried, and it's just not clicking for you. Look, don't give up. Do not give up. Some of you have tried and you've been burned. Look, don't give up. It's worth it. Hang in there. Keep at it. Be patient. Be faithful. This is too beautiful and needed for you in order for you to grow, for you just to throw in the towel. All right, so keep leaning in. Keep doing these five things. And others of us, you're not trying. You're not convinced that you actually need friendship in your life. So you need to take a step after this sermon series and figure out what does this mean to pursue friendships in my life? Let me also add this, when it comes to being realistic about friendship, is owning the fact that you are going to fail. Like you are going to fail at being the kind of friend that you ought to be. Not just your friend, right? It's not just the issues out there, it's actually in your own heart that you are going to disappoint your friend, you're going to frustrate your friend, you're going to hurt them at times which is why we need to close this sermon series out by looking at the true source of flourishing friendship, right? This is a big reason why Christian friendship is different than worldly friendship or or a friendship that exists among two unbelievers. I just wanna set this up by reminding us that when we expect anyone other than Jesus to meet our greatest needs or to satisfy our deepest longings, you are bound for disappointment. 
that when you put those kinds of expectations on someone else outside of Jesus, you will crush them. They're not designed to carry the weight of those expectations. So your neediness will eventually choke your friends. And so as we think about the source of a flourishing friendship, it starts by recognizing that you will only be satisfied with Jesus. And when you start there, that actually becomes the key to being the best friend that you can possibly be, right? Or you can say it this way, that you will only be as good of a friend horizontally with the friendships in your life to the degree of the depth of friendship you experience vertically with God. That it all starts with understanding this amazing friendship that you can have with your creator, that God wants to call you his friend. It's, it's the most remarkable invitation in the Bible. And, and it's an aspect, it's a byproduct of, of what Jesus accomplished on the cross. That we can be friends with God is something that's created and offered to us because the gospel is true. And to be honest with you, it's an aspect of salvation that we rarely talk about. We talk about justification a lot. We talk about being adopted into God's family. I mean, so many uh, aspects of, uh, or consequences, repercussions of being saved, but, but do we talk about being friends with God? This intimacy that we can have with our creator? And it's all because of what Jesus accomplished for us. And so because of this friendship that we have with Jesus, you could basically summarize the gospel this way, that Jesus knows you fully and loves you perfectly. You can basically boil down the gospel to, to that, that short of a phrase, that Jesus knows everything about you. He knows all of your secrets. He knows all of your struggles, all of your sins, all of your fears and anxieties, and even your joys, all of it, and loves you the best way possible. Loves you perfectly. Isn't that what we all crave? Isn't that what we all want deep down is to be fully known and yet perfectly loved. And that's what we have in Jesus. It's the most remarkable gift that the gospel provides for us. And it's actually what enables us to be the best friends that we can be horizontally. And I love this aspect. God is so kind in, in allowing us to experience friendship with him in and through our horizontal friendships. I know my own life, I've gotten glimpses of God in the way that my friends have treated me. And the ways that my friends have loved me when I know it was hard to love me gives me a glimpse of God's unconditional love for me. When my friends have been forgiving of things that I've done, when they've been patient with me, when they've been kind towards me, when I wasn't kind, that gives me a glimpse of God's patience, of God's forgiveness, of God's kindness to me. Well, my friends have been persevering, have they, they've walked alongside me through really difficult seasons. That gives me a glimpse of God's steadfastness in my own life, that God has never left me. God has never forsaken me. See, in each of those aspects, I get a glimpse of who God is. Why? It's because in all those things, they actually find their source in God himself. So if you wanna go deeper horizontally, in your friendships, go deeper vertically with God. He's the source of friendship. 
Well, as we conclude uh, this sermon series, let me give you a couple of recommended steps. Let me be quick with these. Let me give you four next steps. If you've been persuaded in this series, okay, what do I do next? Here's the first one. Again, pray for friendship. Ask God to give you friends in your life. And if you have friends, pray for them consistently. Number two, take a step. You gotta, take it, you gotta initiate, take a risk, put yourself out there. Be the kind of friend that you want others to be to you. Thirdly here is to be patient. There's no microwavable option for developing friendship. There's no shortcut in developing deep and meaningful friendships. So don't give up, be patient. And then fourthly here, so never stop working on your friendships. These, these are gifts that God has given to us and it's so easy to fall into complacency. Maybe there's been something in this series where you're like, ah, we need to grow in that area. Look, talk about it. Talk about how can we implement this in our friendship. And don't forget, Jesus meets our deepest need for friendship. It all starts there. That's when we can start to have healthy, horizontal friendships with others. We can experience the gift that God intends them to be. Let's pray together. Lord, we do stop and praise you for the gift of friendship. Lord, I pray that you would help us to not take them for granted but Lord, that you would enable us to be faithful in these relationships, these relationships that can even model uh, your love for us. So Lord, help us to be good friends, help us to be biblical friends, help us to live out these principles. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.